Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. This is the seventh and final episode in our series about the story of Jesus. Last time we ended with Jesus dying on the cross and being buried, with the religious leaders putting guards around his tomb to make sure his body stayed exactly where it was. He had died on Friday, and the guards had arrived on Saturday. It was still dark on Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene woke up and got to work. With a few friends, she walked to the Jerusalem market, the women's mission, to find and purchase the freshest spices of myrrh and aloe they could find. They moved swiftly through the merchant stalls, each of them focused on their task. Once they'd bought everything they were looking for, they quickly left the market and passed through the gates of Jerusalem. Daylight crept slowly into the sky as the women made their way toward the borrowed tomb where the body of Jesus lay. The Gospels all mention Mary Magdalene as being one of these women, and she gets more details than the others, so we're going to back up a bit and tell her story. I should point out that Mary Magdalene is not the same person as Mary, the mother of Jesus, who does also show up in the story we're telling today. Several different women are named in the Gospels as being followers of Jesus, and uh, like multiple are named Mary. These women had followed him from his earliest days as a teacher. Several of them, including Mary Magdalene, had had diseases and sicknesses that Jesus had healed. Mary, along with some of the other women Jesus had healed, chose to not only follow Jesus, but also use their money to support his mission of traveling the land and teaching people. That was important because Jesus did not have a job. I mean, he, he's all traveling around and talking to people as his job. And the 12 guys who, uh, who followed him everywhere, the disciples, used to have jobs that paid money. Some of them were fishermen, one of them had worked as a tax collector and so on, but they kind of left their jobs behind to follow Jesus. So there were at least 13 guys walking all over the villages and countryside of Galilee who needed to be fed and needed places to stay and clothes and baths. I mean, there were stories of Jesus taking a few loaves of bread and some fish and making enough food to feed thousands of people, but that was kind of an extraordinary thing. It seems like mostly he and his disciples ate regular food that was not magically multiplied, so they needed money constantly. And Mary Magdalene and some of the other women gave them whatever they needed. Their support made it possible for Jesus to travel, preach, and heal. In episode 7, we told the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus lived in Bethany, a tiny village just outside Jerusalem, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. The Gospels talk about several different women named Mary so we don't know for sure if Mary Magdalene was the same per person as Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but it's possible. If that was the case, Mary Magdalene was not only one of Jesus's best supporters, but one of his closest friends. Some scholarly evidence suggests that was the same Mary. So let's run with that for this story. Some early church people seem to have taken pains to erase women from the narrative. So not a lot remains or was included in the Bible, the canon Bible. Um, of Mary's story, although it's suspected she used to have a bigger role in the story. Uh, so because of that, please humor us with a bit more creative license than we usually take in these stories. Mary welcomed Jesus and his disciples into her home many times, feeding them and taking care of them. And when Jesus talked about going to Jerusalem and being killed there, Mary listened. She bought a special perfume to anoint Jesus' feet to prepare his body for burial. We told that story in episode 22. Jesus praised her for what she did, and he foretold that wherever people told his story in the future, they would tell Mary's too. 
Mary and her siblings probably marched right behind Jesus as he rode a donkey into Jerusalem on Sunday morning of the festival week, with crowds of people gathering to see him and shout praises to him. Each day, Mary would have listened closely as he taught the crowds and sparred with the religious leaders in the temple, and in the evenings, Jesus and the disciples would slip away out of Jerusalem and secretly continue to stay at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house in Bethany. The Bible doesn't tell us the next part of Mary's story because it focuses on Jesus and the religious leaders. So we'll take an educated guess at what happened. We know that on Thursday, Jesus and the disciples stayed in Jerusalem in the evening so they could celebrate the Passover holiday together. Mary probably ate the Passover meal at home with her siblings. She knew that soon Jesus would be taken away and killed because he had said over and over that that would happen. She just didn't know when. In the middle of the night, she was awakened suddenly by running feet and frantic knocking on the door of the house, and she knew that what she had been dreading was finally happening. Lazarus got up and opened the door, and two of Jesus' disciples, Andrew and Philip, stumbled inside. They were frightened and out of breath. Mary and Martha made them sit and brought water for them to drink. The disciples told the siblings everything that had happened. Jesus had celebrated Passover with them. During the meal, he had pointed out Judas Iscariot as one of the twelve who would betray him, though none of the disciples understood this, and Judas left. After the meal, Jesus had led the remaining disciples out of Jerusalem and up the nearby Mount of Olives to a garden where he liked to pray. All of the disciples had fallen asleep, and a short time later, Jesus had awakened them just as a large crowd approached, armed with swords and clubs, with Judas leading them. They had come to arrest Jesus and take him to the religious leaders. Judas had greeted Jesus with a kiss. Peter had tried to fight the crowd, but only succeeded in cutting off someone's ear, which Jesus healed. Then all the disciples had run for their lives. Andrew and Philip had not stopped running until they reached the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They didn't know where Jesus was or where the other disciples were. Mary got herself ready and left her house, heading for Jerusalem. She was afraid, but her love for Jesus was stronger than her fear. She knew she couldn't stop what was going to happen, but she couldn't bear to stay away, though most of Jesus' other close friends, the men who were disciples, had run away. She had a good guess where he had been taken, and as she approached the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, she saw that her guess was correct. The courtyard was filled with servants and temple guards, many of whom had been in the crowd that arrested Jesus. The guard at the entrance recognized Mary and led her into Caiaphas's house, where the entire Sanhedrin was holding a trial for Jesus. Inside the house, Mary found John, the disciple Jesus loved most. Like her, John's family had been friends with Caiaphas's family, so he had been allowed inside. Mary and John watched helplessly as Caiaphas called witness after witness to tell lies about Jesus. Finally, the high priest simply asked Jesus if he was the Son of God. Jesus said yes, and quickly the entire Sanhedrin voted he was guilty of blasphemy and deserved to die. Caiaphas took Jesus to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, so that the orders to kill Jesus would come from the Romans and not from the religious leaders. Mary followed and joined the large crowd that was gathering at Pilate's house. John did not follow. He said he wanted to check on Jesus' mother, who was also staying in Jerusalem for the Passover, and so he disappeared into the streets of the city. Mary watched as Pilate tried to decide what to do with Jesus. Eventually, Pilate decided to ask the crowd, since surely they would be on Jesus' side. You have a custom of asking me to release a prisoner each year at Passover, Pilate said. So if you want me to, I'll release this king of the Jews. But the people shouted, not him, give us Barabbas instead. Barabbas was a man who had recently been taken prisoner by the Romans for starting a rebellion and killing people. What shall I do with Jesus, this man you call king, Pilate asked. Away with him, they yelled. Crucify him. Mary looked around, hardly able to believe what she was hearing. Just a few days ago, Jesus had been given a parade as he rode into Jerusalem. 
Many, many people were hoping he was the Messiah. Mary had no doubt that he was. And even if they didn't believe in him, how could they ask for him to be killed? Wouldn't he harmed anyone? Hadn't he healed many people, provided food for people, spoken out against greed and oppression? And yet here all these people were calling for his death. In the end, Pilate did what they wanted. He released Barabbas and he ordered that Jesus be taken away and crucified. The soldiers forced him to carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, past the angry crowds, and out of the city to a nearby hill called the Place of the Skull. Mary Magdalene continued to follow Jesus as she had followed him for the past three years. It had been horrible to watch him be tried and condemned when he had done nothing wrong, and it would be even worse to see him crucified, but she was committed to following him and being there for him, and she would not waver. As the soldiers put Jesus on the cross and raised it up, Mary was joined by John. He had found and brought Jesus' mother, also named Mary, who wanted to be there when her son died. Mary, the mother of Jesus, remembered when he had been born, and an old man had told her that one day a sword would pierce her own soul. Now, as she stood near her son's cross, watching him die, she understood those words. Two other men were also crucified along with Jesus. Unlike Jesus, they had actually committed crimes. One of them hurled insults at Jesus. So you're the Messiah, are you? He shouted. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminals said to him, Don't you fear God even now? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus looked at him and said, I promise you, today you will be with me in heaven. Looking out from the cross, Jesus saw his mother along with John and Mary Magdalene. Despite the pain he was feeling, he was grateful that his mother was there and that not all of his friends had abandoned him. His earthly father, Joseph, had died a few years before, and as the oldest son of his mother, he wanted to make sure she was taken care of. So he spoke to his mom and said, John will be your son now. Then he said to John, she will be your mother now. And from then on, John took Mary, the mother of Jesus, into his home and took care of her as if she were his own mother. The sky had grown unnaturally dark as Jesus hung from his cross. Mary Magdalene heard him say, it is finished, and then he died, and the earth began to shake. Mary fell to the ground, where she curled up and protected herself as best she could. John and Jesus' mother were doing the same. Soon the earthquake ended, and sunlight began to come back into the sky. Mary Magdalene did not leave the cross. Even now, she thought only of taking care of Jesus. Eventually, two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, religious leaders who believed in Jesus, came and took his body off of the cross. Mary helped them wrap the body in a long linen cloth that was packed with an ointment made of myrrh and aloes. Then they carried Jesus' body to a nearby tomb that Joseph owned, which was carved into the side of a hill. Finally, with the help of a few other people, they rolled an enormous round stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. Moments after they finished, the sun went down, marking the end of Friday and the beginning of the Sabbath day, when the Jewish law prevented any work from being done. Because it was now the Sabbath, Mary could not walk home. Walking more than about half a mile was considered work and was not allowed on the Sabbath. So instead, she went back into Jerusalem and stayed in a house where many of Jesus' disciples were hiding, the same house where he had had his last supper with the twelve. Saturday was a quiet day. Many of the disciples seemed to be in shock over the news of what had happened to Jesus. Even though he had predicted it over and over, they had not believed it, and they didn't know what would happen now that he was dead. Most of them didn't dare to leave the house. They were afraid that the religious leaders might still try to find them and have them killed for being followers of Jesus. They had heard the high priests had set up guards around the tomb so that no one would steal Jesus' body. Mary grieved for Jesus, but she was still committed to doing everything she could for him, and that's why she and several of the other women 
who had followed Jesus, got up early on Sunday morning to buy spices so they could go to his tomb and put them on his body. Mary hoped that the guards would allow the women to enter the tomb, especially since they would probably need help to move the huge stone out of the entrance. The sun was just coming up over the nearby hills as Mary and her friends approached the hillside tomb. Before they got there, they felt the tremors of another earthquake, like the one at Jesus' crucifixion, and then it was over as quickly as it had begun. Mary began to run to the tomb. She had a feeling that something was happening, but what? There was the tomb, and there was the stone, and it took Mary a moment to realize that the entrance to the tomb was wide open. Someone had rolled that enormous stone away. Who had done it? Mary couldn't see anyone. Where were the guards? Then as she got closer, she saw all the guards were lying on the ground near the tomb. She quickly put down her spices and ran to one of them. She could see that they weren't dead, but something had caused them all to faint at the same time. As the other women caught up to her, something bright flashed into the corner of Mary's vision. She turned. A light was coming from inside the tomb, an impossibly bright white light. Mary stepped cautiously into the tomb. A voice said, Don't be afraid! And Mary jumped. In the place where Jesus' body had been, an angel was sitting. At least she thought it had to be an angel. His robes were whiter than clouds. His face shone like lightning. The angel spoke again. Why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has come back to life again, just as he told you. And now my message to you is, go and tell all his disciples, especially Peter, that he has risen from the dead and he will meet you soon. One of the Gospels says that the angel had been the one who rolled the stone away from the tomb, although Mary wasn't there to see that part. Mary and the other women fled from the tomb. Despite what the angel had told them, they were indeed afraid and unsure if it could really be true. Could Jesus be alive? Mary ran to Jerusalem, to the house where the disciples were staying. She burst in and found Peter and John near the door. She said, Something has happened to the tomb. Jesus' body is gone. They jumped up in shock, asking what was going on. Mary did her best to catch her breath and tell them about the earthquake, the fainted guards, and the angel. Peter and John didn't know what to think, but they wanted to see for themselves. Both of them ran out the door, heading for the tomb. Mary followed a bit slower. She had just finished running from the tomb to the house, after all. And now, barely having had time to catch her breath, she was running all the way back. It took Peter and John only a few minutes to get to the place where Jesus was buried. John was younger than Peter and in better shape, so he reached the tomb first and saw the stone had been rolled away, just like Mary had said. He went up to the entrance and looked inside. He could see the strips of linen that had been wrapped around Jesus' body, but the body itself was gone. And so was the angel. Peter came up behind a few seconds later, puffing for breath. Without hesitating, he went straight inside the tomb and scooped up the strips of linen as if holding them would magically bring Jesus' body back. It did not. What does this mean? Peter asked. John came into the tomb with him. Peter, he said, the body is gone, and Mary said an angel told her Jesus is alive. It must be true. Peter was not sure. But where is he then, he said. He didn't know what to think about Jesus maybe being alive again. It will be wonderful, of course, but how could he look Jesus in the face again? After all his blustering about how he would stand by Jesus no matter what, he had denied three times that he even knew Jesus, and he knew that Jesus knew what he had done. The two disciples walked back to the house. John was filled with hope, Peter with anxiety. Mary Magdalene missed them as she hurried to the tomb again. She looked inside, but there was no angel, no light, the guards were gone, and Peter and John weren't here either. She was overwhelmed with loneliness and sorrow and confusion, and she started to cry. Then someone behind her said, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? She turned and saw a man, not an angel in sparkly white, but a man in normal clothes. When she tried to look at his face, it seemed hazy, 
almost blurry. She couldn't focus. Who could he be? She thought maybe he was the gardener who was responsible for taking care of the tombs. Mary said, Please, sir, I'm looking for Jesus. If you've taken his body away, tell me where you've put him and I will care for him. The gardener said, Mary, and when he said her name, she knew his voice and she looked into his face again and she could see. It was Jesus. He had risen from the dead and he was standing right in front of her. In surprise and delight, Mary said, Rabbi, which was what Jesus' followers often called him. Rabbi is a word for teacher. They hugged, and Mary's sorrow and pain dissolved into joy. Finally, Jesus pulled back and said, Don't hold on to me. I'm going back to my Father in heaven soon, but not yet. I want you to go to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them I said, I will soon go back to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then he vanished right in front of her eyes. Mary had no more doubts. She had seen Jesus. She had touched him, and now she had a new mission that he had given her. For a third time, she took off running back into Jerusalem, the house where the disciples were hiding. When she came in, everyone was already talking. Peter and John had told them they had, what they had seen at the tomb, and now everyone turned to see Mary, and the room grew silent as they waited to hear what she would say. She said, I've seen the Lord, and she told the whole story of what had happened to her that morning and gave them the message Jesus told her to give. When she finished after a few moments, everyone started talking again. Could this be real? John believed Mary's story and said so. Peter believed it too, though he was quiet for once. Some of the other disciples weren't sure. One of them, named Thomas, said he didn't believe a word of it, that Jesus could not possibly be alive. Whether or not they believed, most of the disciples were still scared of the religious leaders, so they stayed in the house all day. In the evening, they gathered together in the same room where Jesus had celebrated the Passover with the twelve just a few days before, and suddenly Jesus was just there. Just like he had vanished from Mary's sight earlier in the day, now he appeared right in the middle of the group and said, Peace be with you. And everyone like jumped in surprise. Maybe some of them cried out while others were overwhelmed and couldn't speak. How do you deal with a person you loved very much who died a few days ago and now, poof, appears right in front of you, alive and well? I don't know. Some of them thought he must be a ghost. And under the circumstances, that makes sense. Jesus said, Why are you all frightened? I feel like if he's going to show up in the middle of them, that's not really fair to ask why they would be frightened. Anyway, Jesus continued, why do you doubt that it's really me? Look at my hands and my feet. And they looked and saw there were scars in Jesus' hands and feet from where he had been nailed to the cross. Touch me, Jesus said, and know for sure that I'm not a ghost. For ghosts do not have bodies, and you see, I do. They still weren't sure, so Jesus said, look, have you got anything to eat? So someone handed him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it. I can picture everyone holding their breath, wide-eyed, watching the piece of fish as he puts it in his mouth and chews it up and swallows. And at that point, they all believed. Jesus talked to them a bit more, and then a few minutes later, he vanished again. Mary was overjoyed that everyone else had seen Jesus. Well, almost everyone. One of the twelve disciples was not in the room that evening, and that was Thomas. I say one of the twelve. Actually, another of the twelve would have been absent, too. Judas. Anyway, Thomas wasn't there, the one I mentioned earlier who definitely did not believe Mary's story. Maybe he had gone outside on errands or something. Anyway, when he came back, he was mobbed by excited friends all talking about how Jesus had appeared to them, that he really had come back from the dead, and everything Mary had said had been true. Thomas still refused to believe it. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, I will not believe. You may have heard the phrase doubting Thomas. If someone doesn't trust something or have faith about something, someone may call them a doubting Thomas. Well, this is where that comes from. Well, as you may be able to guess, not long later, Jesus appeared to the disciples again, this time with Thomas there. And he said to Thomas, here are my hands. You can inspect them as much as you want. Stop doubting and believe.
all Thomas could say was, my Lord and my God. There's one last story of Jesus appearing to the disciples that I want to get to in this episode. Some of the Gospels indicate that he continued to appear, appear to them every once in a while over the next few weeks, and then he would disappear again. One day, Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. Peter had been working as a fisherman three years before, along with his brother Andrew and the brothers James and John. Fishermen would go out in a boat in the middle of the night and lay out nets in the water to catch fish. Maybe Peter had missed doing it. Anyway, he decided he would go out and fish on the Sea of Galilee, and six other disciples, including James and John, said they would go with him. So they all went out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, which, as you may remember, is more like a really, really big lake than an actual sea. They worked in their boat all night, casting out nets, and they didn't catch any fish. It made Peter think about a night like this one three years ago, when he and his friends had been unable to catch anything, then Jesus had showed up and magically filled their nets with more fish than they could hold, and he told Peter, Andrew, James, and John, follow me, and instead of catching fish, you will catch people. And they had just left their nets and boats and everything and followed Jesus. Peter wasn't sure where things stood between him and Jesus now. They had not had a one-on-one -on -one conversation in the time since Jesus came back to life. Was Jesus secretly angry at Peter for denying three times that he knew him? Did he no longer trust Peter? Peter wasn't sure, and Peter hated the feeling of not being sure. At dawn, Peter and the other disciples in the boat decided it was time to give up on fishing, so they started rowing toward the shore. They saw a man standing there, but he was too far away for them to tell who he was. I'm sure you can probably guess who he was, but let's pretend we don't know, because the disciples don't know yet. So this unknown man called out to them from the shore, Have you kids caught anything? And they said, No. And he said, you should throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get plenty of fish there. And they shrugged and said, why not? So they threw the nets on the right-hand side, and immediately the nets were filled with fish and became so heavy that the disciples couldn't even pull the nets back into the boat. Then John said to Peter, it's Jesus! Because, I mean, of course the guy on the shore was Jesus. And when John said that, Peter threw his shirt on. He'd taken it off while he was working, and he jumped into the water. He swam to the shore and got up and stood next to Jesus, still happy to be be with him, but still anxious. The other disciples stayed in the boat and brought it to the shore, pulling the heavy net of fish with it. And when they got to where Jesus was, they saw he had set a fire and was already frying fish over it, and also he had bread. And he said, come and have breakfast. And everyone sat down, and Jesus served them the bread and the fish, and I imagine it was delicious. After breakfast, Jesus asked Peter to take a walk with him. So they walked along the shore together, and Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these others? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, Then feed my lambs. Jesus meant that he wanted Peter to take care of Jesus' followers. Sometimes he liked to call them his sheep or lambs. Jesus asked again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And then he asked for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was, like, hurt that Jesus asked the same question three times. Lord, he said, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. When you were young, you were able to do as you like and go wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will direct you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus meant that someday Peter would die for his love of Jesus. And then Jesus said the same thing he had said three years ago when he first met Peter. Follow me. Peter felt as if a great weight had been lifted from him. Jesus wasn't angry at how Peter had denied knowing him. He was telling Peter he trusted him to lead his followers. I think by asking Peter three times if he loved him, Jesus was giving the opportunity to make 
up for denying knowing him three times, Peter had made a terrible mistake. But now he would learn and grow from it, and one day he would face the fear of being killed for knowing Jesus and stand firm like a rock. Remember, Peter's, Peter's original name was Simon. Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means rock. Because Jesus knew Peter would be the rock Jesus needed him to be. The story keeps going. Not long after this, Jesus leaves his followers and rises from the ground into the sky and all the way into heaven and stays there. And Peter and the other disciples start a religion about him, which is eventually called Christianity. But we're going to end our story there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee with Peter knowing that Jesus believed in him. And that's all. That's all for now. There are like a lot more things in the Gospels that Jesus did, and there is more stuff that the disciples did. Peter takes charge. There's drama. So there will be more New Testament episodes at some point. Um, I am going to take a break for a week or two after this because life has been quite busy and wild right now. So um, I'll be back maybe with Jonah. I'm thinking maybe Jonah, but I'll, I'll talk about it. I'll, I'll announce it on, um, Facebook and Twitter when I've, when I've got it planned and scheduled. Thank you so much for listening to the series. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, I really appreciate all my listeners. I appreciate my new Patreon patrons, all my supporters. Um, thanks so much. And I guess that's all for now. So uh, thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music for now is Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child. <laughs>